Help support the Hockey Hurts podcast by donating as little as $1 per month by visiting patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for June 30th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Um, we have plenty to talk about. Uh, two Canadian teams decided to make some pretty big trades and they forgot to bring logic around for the party. Um <laughs> We will discuss those two big trades. We will also try to sneak in a, a few comments about Steven Stamkos and maybe some comments about free agency, maybe even some RFA stuff uh, that's been talked about recently. But we're going to start with the the big two trades. We have Edmonton getting Adam Larson, but giving up Taylor Hall. We have Montreal getting Shea Weber. And insert sad trombone, giving away <laughs> PK Suvan. So, which one of those two trades would you like to start with? Suvan. Okay. So, I think this is the worst of the two trades because in Edmonton, you have a need for a defenseman, you have a strength at forward position. They moved a forward for a defenseman. Now, mind you, they totally screwed up the value portion of that whole trade. But you can, if you really squint hard enough, you can see what they were trying to do. How it, hard do you have to squint? It's pretty, it's a lot. <laughs> but the other trade is position for position, one for one. And the Montreal Canadiens get older, they get a worse contract, and they get a worse player. So for, I, I don't get that one at all. They got tougher. <laughs> Did they? That's that's it. Like you look, they got Andrew Shaw and they got Shea Weber. They got two guys that have got mean streaks. You know, they've been told for years that they're too soft. They're marshmallows. You know, they're soft. They're soft and. Excuse me. And this is all to uh, adjust on that. This is all to try and repair that. I just, you just, it's the whole, the Evgeny the Malkin line I love that you rule out is you trade Evgeny Malkin, you don't have Evgeny Malkin, right? Both of these two Canadian teams now don't have their two best players. And you could make the argument that that might not be the case with Taylor Hall because of Connor McDavid. However, then that would be fair, but still, the point stands. Yeah, and you just go, oh. Canada tries to make out that there's this wonderful hotbed of hockey, but the management teams that run these organisations obviously look at the game completely different to the rest of the hockey world because I see no sense in this Subban for Weber trade at all from their point of view. I'll tell you what, freaking Nashville have suddenly become one of the hot favourites for the West. They were really good last year. That's my point. And wow, good. May I say this? Good for them because I've been saying for a long time they needed to get rid of that player. Yep. And never in my wildest. Actually, it wasn't Taylor Hall my <laughs> suggestion, funny enough. Yes. They get traded the same day, but not in the same thing. Don't miss that trade. So, so. it, it, they, they, I, I don't know. I'm kind of speechless with that move that uh, Montreal made. But Nashville, that's a long contract. That's like he's got 10 more years and he's 31 right now. Yeah. And he's already shown. Now, again, I need to preface this by saying Shea Weber is still good. But Shea Weber is starting to show signs of, of dropping in certain areas each of the last three years. So how much longer is he going to be good? I can assure you it's not going to be 10 years longer. Uh, the question is, will it even be three? So the argument you made with uh, Nashville was when they got Ryan Johansson, they should have moved Weber uh, because of the, the fact that that's a three-year window you've basically given of getting value out of Weber for what he is, right? So... Whoever ends up with that contract, i.e. now it's Montreal, have just condensed everything that they have to try and do into the next three years to make trading P.K. Subban worth it. Because the only thing that's going to make it worth it now 
is a Stanley Cup. That's it. It's it's cup or bust now. Yeah, except they traded their best player. Well, yeah, player, not goalie. You didn't say keeper. But they're man, and, and all what PK meant to that city. I mean, he 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 gave him ten million large. For a children's hospital, I think that's the largest North American athlete donation ever. It's ridiculous. Um, always had a smile, always positive. Uh, was a great ambassador f- for that franchise. Like you go to the All Star events, who's one of the biggest stars there? Oh, him all the time. And always comes off great. And you. That's just another part of this. The on-ice stuff speaks for itself. He's one of the best, period, in the sport. He's got absolutely the skill set you want in a player, especially a defenseman. He can skate. He's got great offensive ability, um, willing to try to make plays, play to win kind of stuff. And quite frankly, he's... He's definitely physical enough to, to bring that other side of it that people want to see. Oh, you need to defend, you need to defend. Yeah, <laughs> he he could do that too. And do it in the old school mindset of separating man from puck. So what a loss. I I can't I I'm trying to think of like I guess it feels like the auger trade almost. Because I was when I was younger and the Penguins traded him away, but yeah, but, but, but Yager had already given like a decade, and yeah, but and, he also said he wanted out though. Like that's that's the, and the it was understandable part. because the ownership was hot garbage, couldn't pay him. Like there's no future there. No, but there's also there was also knowing that that was coming. Like the thing that sort of strikes me about this trade is that it was always sort of hinted and rumoured about that he was going to go, right? But everybody that, that, you know, enjoys hockey goes, surely you can't get rid of Subban. He's the most dynamic and creative player you've got on your roster. He makes that team run. When he goes, they go. Surely you're not going to trade him away. Like, just the, the logic behind it just absolutely baffles me. Like, even if they'd gone Weber plus... I still don't see how Shea Weber helps in this particular situation. You've got even, and that's just on on the ice, not even the contract stuff. And, and, and the contract stuff is real. Now, yes, something to keep in mind is if he retires, it does go back on Nashville. But that's so far down the line, it's not going to help Montreal. By the time that happens, they're going to be he's going to be playing just terrible hockey. Oh, it's I just I just don't get it. It's like I don't know that I know that there was a power struggle inside that Canadian's locker room. Like it permeated enough that me all the way over here in Australia found out through Twitter and the internet that things weren't all roses inside that Montreal Canadiens locker room. Um and you know, there are factions inside that room and obviously PK lost and he got shipped out. So there are a lot of players inside that that organization now that have to stand up and make up for the loss of that man. And I would say one of them will be the coach as well. Because How about that, too? They bring in just a brutal, outdated coach who tries to critique one of the best players in the games, games. He does it. Probably to a fault for himself, the kind of player that he is. Does it with a smile, and they get rid of the player and not the, yeah. <laughs> it, it was amusing. His little, like, parting shot was, well, I feel like I'm a lot closer to a Stanley Cup now. I don't think that's a parting shot as much as it is accurate. It's both. That's the thing. It's like he's got much more of a, he's, he's much more likely to get to the Stanley Cup finals and have a crack at the Cup. Uh, in Nashville than he was in Montreal. And, um, I mean, you you were pushing for you, you were pushing for a Stamkos 
you know, chased down by these guys. But this is this is this better way, as far way, as I'm way, concerned. Way, way better. Yeah, I mean they can get the puck out of the zone better now. They can control the they can control the offensive zone along that blue line better because of, of how well Subban keeps the puck in. Um, it, this is improved defense by more offense with a coach that will want Subban to do something with it. Like that's the thing with Laviolette. Like he certainly lets the guys that can do stuff with it do something with it. Yeah, you beat me to it. Just think of the drastic change in style of play that Subban's going to go to and what that will actually do for him. It's it's going to be outrageously good to watch him in Nashville. Oh, right. That power play is going to be awesome. You got, um, well, Subban's going to lead it now. Yeah. And it's not going to miss a beat. I know Shea Weber's got an awesome slap shot, don't get me wrong, but... P.K. Subban blasts that thing, too, and I don't think you need an extra 10 miles an hour to make it work. Um, the zone entries are probably going to be a lot better because Subban can can carry it up throughout. And James Neal can be a trigger man. you got Forsberg. I mean, there's Johansson. so many, so much good talent. Johansson. They, they go, they're going to have two. They're going to have... An absolutely top-notch first unit, and due to overflow, their second unit is still going to be quite good. And that's a luxury that a lot of teams do not have. Uh, David Poyle, you know, deserves credit right now. I I wasn't very thrilled when he moved uh, Seth Jones, even though I thought the player he got in return was very good, because I just see Shea Weber sitting there with, with this kind of value, as it turns out. And it's like, why you... Trading the younger guy first. Trade trade the older guy. He basically two for one it when you think about it. Like he managed to get Ryan Johansson and PK Subban for Weber. And I know he had to give up Seth Jones, but because they're so deep at that back end. They gave up a number two and number three defenseman and got a number one defenseman and a number one center. <laughs> I know. So that's the thing. Like I've not been enamored at times with some of the decisions that the Poyle's made, but. Tell you what, bingo on there. Like the last, you know, eight months of, of the work that he's done, thumbs up on that situation. And and I suppose that works because he's got out from under that Weber contract. So this one here has made the previous deal that he made for Johansson just look that much better. Yeah, they're they're in a great spot. Which is why you know I like Stamkos for that team. At first, as kind of like the the under the radar go to destination for him, but how can you predict a trade like that? You can't. I mean, it's it's amazing everything that happened um, all on the one day. Like you look at everything that's occurred, and you you sit there and, and Stamkos is the asterisk on the day, which is amazing. If they can move Pecorine, look the hell out. They'll have so much money. The quality of play won't really change at that position. So this is the thing, though. It's like if they move Pekka Renee out, where would you like them to slot the money? Would you like them to look for a smattering of players for their bottom six? Or would you like them to... And I include their their third-pairing defenseman in that as well. Or would you like them to just sort of try and load up for another, like another top six forward because you're going to save three or four mil if you can just look for average average goalkeeping all right so let me think what i would do i would get uh crazy aggressive with with a move and i would use the this i would tie it back into stamkos again i i would go nuts with a kucherov offer sheet all right tampa you got stamkos Time to pony up for Kucherov, too. There's no reason why that can't happen. You know what I mean? Oh, unless I don't have the picks. Um, the... Come on, go back to your article. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. That article's not going to tell me how much of the future. That was only like a this year thing. Uh... I don't think they've... Um wasted their first round picks for the in the future have they 
I don't. I don't think so. But I can look this I'm up not, quick. I'm not over draft picks at all. I just. I'm never over who's got what and, and who's picked up who in their draft. They're good. They could if they wanted to. They're in a very very nice situation, and very very well done. So how about that for an idea? An offer sheet of something of that magnitude. Or even go after some of the intermediate targets I wrote about the other day. Mike Hoffman of the Senators. Jaden Schwartz of St. Louis. Hampus Linton. Actually, they don't don't need defense. You're right. I I would lean towards the forward portion of things. But you can see they have options now. I um I find it I find it amazing that you can see you can see some of the hockey world in regards to management shifting to more analytical thinking. <clears throat> Let's use Florida for example, um, and then you see it feels like just a massive spread across everything above that U.S. Canadian border don't want to come along to the party. They may have analytics teams, they may have they Toronto may talk is. to talk they may talk to talk in public, but good grief. Okay, if you're gonna to go to Toronto is the other six, I'm not sold. Particularly freaking the Oilers. No, I'm saying Toronto is turning a corner with that stuff. No, no, I, I I I'll give you I'll give you Toronto, but you go, how long have the Oilers had Tyler Dello locked up? so we can't freaking bag them out anymore, right? Management is obviously not listening to anything he says because in no way in hell do Montreal's you trade... Montreal's got play. a smart, smart guy as well with Pfeffer. Yeah, so the, this is the thing. You may have all these teams, you may have all this data, but and and it given to you in a way for you to then digest. I'm confident that they give them their feedback and what they do with that feedback, you know... That's my point. Yep, I know. But is it's crazy. You got some bright minds in there, and it's like I'm telling you this and that. And we've talked a little bit about how Sam Ventura with the Pittsburgh Penguins and, and how we really don't know um, how it's how it functions. Basically, I think Bill West of uh, the Pittsburgh Tribune had written, I think it was Bill West, about how Sam Ventura is more of a consultant. They'll consult him when they want some feedback on something along those lines. And I don't know how that dynamic's working with the other teams, but I can confidently say it ain't working. Edmonton's a mess. Oh, it's just... Okay. We haven't even talked about Edmonton yet. (laughs) No, we've just... We've tried to rail out on the whole... Just can't believe that the it was a one for one swap D man for D man, but the whole haul for Larson aspect of it, I'm I'm speechless with this one. I just I can't make any sense of it. I think it's great for PK Subban. I think Nashville is a super awesome NHL market. I think, uh, and they're comfortable with black athletes, so he'll be fine. Well, I I think I think most. I think we're pretty good on that front these days. I think we're better. <laughs> there was a time we were pretty bad. <laughs> it's not yeah, perfect, yeah. but I think... Um, but yeah, he, him going to Nashville, That they got those Thanksgiving night annual tradition games that look just awesome to go to. Uh, they had a really nice playoff run last year. P.K. Subban is a personality and a superstar, and that market's never really had that Shea Weber I think is Shea Weber used to be excellent by the way I know you know we're piling on a little bit but his personality is very vanilla would you say yeah he's good old Canadian boy of course he's vanilla so PK is just gonna light that town up and it's a pretty good town yeah, it, for his personality and what that town is, 
it's a perfect mix in that sense. So um, I, I hope it, it, it is a brilliant success that works for both the club and the player and they just go great. Go, they go gangbusters and it goes really well. Should we shift over to the other one? Please do. Okay. Edmonton. I want to... Did, did they just talk to New Jersey? Like, is that no, how they went down? Because how the hell do 28 other teams not beat that absolute shit offer? I... Like, oh, oh, really? like I get the Shea Weber thing to a certain extent because the, like, the old school think tank values him like it's five years ago still. So they still think that's equal value. Adam, Adam Larson? I no offense to I, him, he's he's okay, but he's yeah, but he's not Taylor Hall worthy of a trade. It's it's one do of those really things know where how good Taylor Hall is. Edmonton doesn't, but do I, do I don't think a lot of people really get. How I, good I think he is. the problem he has. Hey, I tell you what, after a year with the Devils, everyone's gonna know he's gonna he he's gonna be in the the New York City area. He's gonna play on the East Coast. Everybody's gonna know very very quickly up to Christmas. Holy crap! Where's he been hiding? Why the hell did they? This is the thing. This this deal looks bad now um, for those that are in the know about Taylor Hall. But the rest of the hockey world that doesn't really understand how good he is is going to know come December next year. Or this year, I should say. I hope so because he did go to New Jersey. <laughs> hey, I will say this about Ray Shiro. First couple of trades he makes. His big dog trades usually go well. Yes, that's the thing. It's like uh, you just get there with it and go, oh, shit, that's right. That was Shiro. He's going to screw some up at, at some point. He's going to overpay in draft picks or something for for someone he shouldn't. Kunitz, um, but he this got is Kunitz, right? Yeah, Kunitz and a draft pick for... Notice how it's, it's him drafting, uh, drafting. It's him trading away defensemen. Mm-hmm. That's what he's done. The, there was the... Neil. Because um, Goligoski for Neil. But Niskanen also in that, that turned out to be really yeah, good. Brilliant. Imagine imagine the, the return you could have got had the Penguins decided to trade Niskanen rather than play him out, too. If you think about what they got for Goligoski, what that would have rolled into if they had actually decided to trade him rather than, than keep him. What... Uh... I'm trying to think. There has to be another big move that I'm forgetting that he made. Well, the Whitney one. Um... Just even a smaller one like UC Jokinen for like a seventh rounder. Yeah. Uh, it's... A conditional seventh. He he does a very good job of, of thieving. If you're a general manager, you don't you don't take the phone call. You just go, you know he's going to... Well, he did give two seconds for Doug Murray. So, I mean, there is that. Oh, I know. But when you get there and you go Taylor Hall for for Adam Larson, it's like, I'm sorry, but I can't see how you think that's enough, Ray. And one of the arguments is the, the sell, extra salary he's taking on from, from trading away Larson. But it's like, that's peanuts in the context of where they are cap room-wise. There are... Flourish team more exactly. than exactly. They they want that extra bit so that they can get to the floor and not spend it on a on a Datsuk or a Pronger style contract. Oh, I know. Stall. Mm. He traded Stall when there was no market and still got the eighth it, overall pick. Brandon Sutter and Brian Dumoulin. And Dumoulin. <laughs> so. Um, so Shero, look, Shero's done well. I, look, I really hope that that they can utilise the ridiculous talents of that man, and they do try to be um, more aggressive. It will still come down to how well they can get the puck out of their defensive zone, though. Taylor Hall will rely on quality outlet passes, so losing Larson takes that away from them because he he is able to do that. Yeah, but. I, I bag on New Jersey, but they're doing some nice things now to kind of recover. Yeah. That I would still look at Schneider because by the time they do turn the ship around, I don't think he'll be elite anymore. 
Yeah, it's a gut. That's a ballsy move at this. I agree with you. you. You, you and I are on the same page on this one. It's a ballsy move to get there and move him after you've just grabbed Taylor Hall, though. Yeah, but how much of a difference in that division, in that conference, with some of these other teams that are also improving? You know, the difference. The difference for the Devils, the season that just went, was them. Thinking they were going to make the playoffs to being a lottery team. That's how good Corey Schneider was. And for, for, for me, that's enough of an example of he's at the wrong team at the wrong time for the, the team yeah, cycle. And that's the perfect peak. way of putting it. And, and that's that's just unfortunate. So he's that, the that's the right player, a, wrong team, yeah, wrong time. Just the wrong time. And that, that's not a slight on the team. Like They should have done that trade. Um, they should have got him. It, it's just the team cycling through at, at the wrong time. And... Um, it's unfortunate. Like Schneider's going to put up great numbers, but not get as many wins as he probably should because wins are a team stat. Um, and you, you sit there with it, and yeah, I, I just can't see Jersey being able to turn the rest of the roster over quick enough to still be in that window that Schneider's going to be, you know, top five elite sort of goalie. So I'm going to steal some tweets from. Two of our former guests on the podcast. Please do. All right. First up, Mr. Travis Yost had some interesting tweets, the insider that he is now. Is this food or is this hockey? It is It is not food. Okie dokie. Team executive just told me he would have packaged two future first-round picks and a second-pairing defender for Taylor Hall as a starting point. Like... Like, again, well, who did they talk to? Just New Jersey? I would have given him Ali Mata and not thought twice about it. Here, here you go. Here's a better version of Adam Larson. Have at it. Yeah. I st- uh... Same amount of money, too. Cap hit, I believe, between the two players, if I'm I correct. I think so. I mean, yeah, 4.1 for uh, Larson. And 4.08. For Mata. He's cheaper. He's cheaper. I mean, by a sliver, but yeah, same same concept. <laughs> um, it was funny. I think Adam Gretz wrote something in regards to Chiarelli has has traded away three three of the top four scorers in the, like he's traded away Kessel, he's traded away Sagan, and he's now traded away Hall. And he's a joke. And and you get there, and it's like. Of all the like, everyone says that this Oilers team needed a shakeup. You had to move somebody out of that core of no, skilled you, forwards. You don't that though. Going nowhere. You don't have Not to the, do anything. No, no. Just sit on your hands. Like you don't have to. That team still has still has parts. That I. Adam Larson is not going to make that team better because the net loss of losing Hall means that no matter how good he is, they're still going to be worse. The Poljarvi kid, or once again, however you pronounce it. Sorry, Jesse. Um, <laughs> that was a gift to them. That may have opened up some different things for them to do, but that you can't look at that and say, oh, well, they traded Hall. You can look at it like they're going to sign Lucic, and now they have uh, Poljarvi. And... No, that's no. Signing, no. Lucic isn't the, signing Lucic isn't the solution to their problems either. No, it's opposite too, but... You can't look at it that way. No, you traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, and it's a severe mismatch of value. It's it's criminally, it's an immediate fireable offense to me, especially with a guy with the track record that traded Sagan. And Kessel. Kessel, at least he got Sagan and Hamilton. I mean, you can't really fault that one too much. That was pretty, that worked out quite well. The other one. Jeez, I I'm just well, once again. This is a I think this is a case of a general manager getting the information and him going, "Screw you! I've done this for so many years. I know what I'm doing." I just I know I know Adam Larson gets buried. I know he he plays against. The, he's had the worst uh, offensive zone starts out of everybody in the entire league. He barely starts in the offensive zone at all. Um, and his shot suppression numbers are all considered very, very good. 
But they're, they're good. They're not great. It still doesn't make up for what the Oilers are going to lose for Taylor Hall. It just doesn't. It, it just it doesn't add up. And you look at you look at Montreal, who rode the coattails of a ridiculously good goaltending season. Then he got injured. Then the team fell apart. You then look at the Oilers, who have been a tire fire for years, and they had a chance to go for a totally clean break, and and they went straight back to an old hockey white dude, part of the boys' club, and you just go, Jesus Christ! You had a chance to change direction of the franchise and do something crazy like the Florida Panthers and just fill everything up with statistics and, and run with it that way, because quite obviously what you've been doing in the past hasn't worked. Edmonton or Montreal? Either. Oh. Edmonton in particular, though. But Edmonton's had the gifts of the hard-to-get pieces. And they've had, they've just been gifted the best piece since Sid. Like, Connor McDavid's going to be the best player in the NHL in three years or less. Yeah. That's my not very bold prediction. <laughs> not a very hot take? He led the NHL in 5v5 points per 60 this year. Now, mind you, his sample was only 40 games, but... It's still impressive. I mean, come on. You see where this is going. Exactly. So, it... Man, they hired the guy that traded Sagan, and then he fucked him by trading Hall for peanuts. I'm going to find it so interesting to hear all of the traditional media guys come out and say how much of a wonderful trade it was for Montreal to get tougher but not lose anything. Because It's already happened. It's, it's, it's already out there. And then obviously the reverse with, with well, you get there and look at the Edmonton trade, and it's like they've finally gone and got themselves a steady, reliable defender to, to shore up the back end and make sure that they don't give up a, a, a plethora of goals. And it's like, oh, my God. Another Yost tweet, Adam Larson's 24 in November. With the way he's talked about, you'd think he was 19. And I agree That's, with that. Yeah. He's he's almost through his prime. He was, border, he was borderline being spoken about as a bust. He was a number four draft pick, wasn't he? He was, he was very up there. I can't say for sure, but you're right. You know, and, and he really struck. There's nothing to say that he can't improve as a defender and, and be – you know, what I would consider a, a a low a low number two, so either an extremely good number three or a low number two, but this could be Justin Schultz all over again. Get there and you throw him in there and, and you put him in above his depth and look out, it could get ugly. He's got 69 points in 274 games, only nine goals. They're not, he's not there to, he's not there to score him, he's there to stop him. Uh, and you... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. So here's what I'm going to gather on this. Basically, they traded Taylor Hall for maybe Paul Martin. They traded for a maybe Paul Martin. <laughs> oh, fucking Oilers. I don't know how you guys do it. It's um, It's really laughable. It's laughable they made that hire, seeing this, the Sagan trade should have blacklisted that man from, from operating a team on his own. That was that it damning is. of a trade. He totally fucked the Bruins, and now he's... Um, he, did, he hasn't totally fucked the Oilers yet because of, they got McDavid. And that's going to... And they had he's the kid fall to him. He's still going to make one more trade, though. Yeah, he's going to sign Lucic to big money. Um, I, just, I just don't get it. At this point, they might as well just offer sheet Hampus Lindholm. If, you know. Well, yeah. Somebody should. Um, uh, more stuff on Taylor Hall from Todd Cordell, who writes for the New Jersey Devils at Hockey Buzz as well as the Flames, and I think he's running SB Nation's Anaheim blog now. So, so when last... does he have time to actually eat? I don't know. 
<laughs> Over the last four seasons, the following players have more 5v5 points than Taylor Hall. Sidney Crosby, Jamie Benn, Patrick Kane. That's the list. <laughs> Bloody hell. He's one of the absolute best drivers of offense at even strength. Even strength hockey is becoming tougher and tougher to score at. Even strength hockey is also becoming larger and larger because of the lack of power plays. So they traded a super premium piece for maybe Paul Martin. (laughs) The argument's not that they needed a defenseman. The argument's the cost thereof of what they've given up to get said defensive piece. They could have got Subban for him. I know. Hey, look, Elliot Friedman made that very point. Why didn't they just do a one-for-one trade between the two of them? You fill a need for I both I still markets. think that's a bad move for Montreal. It makes I a ton of sense for Edmonton. I, I, I get your argument, but if you're looking at, at these four pieces that have moved between each other, that's the more likely trade than the two that occurred. And then you just end up with Weber staying where Weber is and Larson staying where Larson you know, is. So it's that's the thing that I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, it's certainly something. I, you know, the the funny thing is that those trades were made like five minutes before I I, I had my golf league and I'm leaving and I'm like Jesus. I go, <laughs> I couldn't even like vet the tweets to make sure that they weren't fake. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like this can't be real. So I turn on the, um the Sirius XM to the hockey station, which I don't normally do. And they're just talking about how Montreal got better. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh my God, I turned it off. I am. Um, it's one of the, like I got up, alarm goes off at five 30 in the morning. I, I, I turn my, my, my phone off or the alarm off on my phone. I look at my phone and I'm like, what the fuck? So I'm sort of trying to get myself organized for work. I'm, I'm looking at the looking at my Twitter feed and I'm like, oh, well, you know, Nashville should still go after Stamkos. Then I'm swinging through my Oh, never mind. Stamkos is done. So we might as well. I mean, do you have anything else to add on those trades? I think they're just such a, a, a win for two of the teams and, and just such a loss for for the other yeah. two. Hey, look, it, it's it's funny. Usually you have trades like this and they're career-defining in the sense that they're either brilliant, i.e. for the team, the two teams that we think won the trades, and they're career crushes for the, the GMs that lose and they never get the job again. Well, Chiarelli blows that theory out the water. This is his third, this is his, what is it, third time lucky now? So this time he might lose his job and never get another one. Yeah, I mean, how many? I know Adam Larson's not an offensive guy, but how many points does he have to now get to justify? Yeah, he can't just be, oh, well, I'm a good defender and put up 15 to 20 points in a year when you're trading a superstar winger. And he can't. He can't. He could have a, a course of 60, and it's not going to make up. 60 would be points. nice, though. That would be a hell of a. That would be good. I'm obviously using an extreme example when I say that, but, you know, Corsi at 60, but without any point production, it's still not going to help your course. Because if you've got a a Corsi of 60 and you still only got 20 or 30 points... I could live with that, but that's not going to happen. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, So Stamkos in Tampa, and it's an interesting contract. I think he only gets paid a base of $1 million. Well, the rest is the signing bonuses. And that he gets on July 1. So he gets, like, huge-ass lump sums every July 1. At least that was my interpretation of it. I think this does two things for him. It, I think it helps on the tax front, from what I was gathering. Like, yeah, when, you go, when you go on the road and play, you're exposed to the local tax rate. Like oh, so, if you go Jesus to Canada, you Christ. get taxed more. 
uh, if you go to California, New York, uh, certain states that tax more. For that game, you're getting taxed that locality. Jesus. Florida has no state income tax. So playing in Florida for 41 games, uh, you wipe that right out, That which is yeah, pretty great. Front. But he will get like at least 7 mil in Florida for that lump sum. So it won't be yeah. exposed to the other states. Also, I believe it's lockout proof. I think he'll get that lump sum before the lockout officially starts. Uh-huh. So he's not losing money. Yeah. Clever. If, if any of that makes sense. It does. That was my interpretation of it. So what was it? Eight and a half mil? Yeah. Eight years? I think so. It's funny, you, know, you just you mentioned what you just said then. He can only if he's got if it's a million a year that he's getting paid in salary or right, the rest is signing bonuses. That's basically twelve thousand bucks a game he's getting paid. So he's only getting taxed on that in each state that he goes to and plays in. It's which weird, is a lot better than, which is a lot better than getting taxed on seven point five mil, isn't it? Or eight point five mil. Yeah, whatever that boils down to. So you can understand why it's a really financial sense to him. That's a clever way to get around another team. Well, him going more. to another team for ten mil a year. Um, so eight and a half mil. That's that's pretty pretty good for Tampa, in my opinion. I still have um, concerns there. I don't think he's ever. I don't think he drives play, really. He's reliant upon his line mates. But he's still excellent. Eight years? Eh, we'll see. That only takes it at 34, though. He's got to keep scoring, though. No, no, I, I get your argument. but He's not Thomas Vanek in the sense where if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything. Yeah. But he, some of these other elite players that we talk about, drive the action a little bit better than he does. He's not bad at that... it, so I don't want that to come off like that. But when we're talking about the players that are making above $8 million, most of them drive the play a little bit better. You might That's know this you, you might know this because you've looked at his numbers a little deeper than I have, but has his role with the Lightning changed since he lost a fifth of a step after he broke his leg, and therefore he's not going to push play as well as he used to. What year because did he break his leg? Oh God! You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it'd be lo- interesting. I'm, I'm kind of looking at him right now. Sorry, I, well, I honestly, no, can't... but like, I'm looking at his his sixty goal year was 2011-12. I reckon it was. I reckon it was the year after he broke it. But he still had 29 goals in 48 games. I think it was 13-14. He had 25 goals in 37 games. That's the one then. That's okay, the one so 13-14. Then it's down to 43-82 and 82 and 36-77. and 77. And when I say down to, that's pretty pretty mint numbers. Yeah. But just, you're, you're going from 60, 29 and 48 is not quite 60, but above he's 50. Around, he's and he's then the 25 and 37, wow. I'm I'm gonna actually calculate that one out. That that's impressive as all hell. You know you know that's another. You know when Sid was having that year that he was having and then busted his neck. Yeah. That's what Stamkos was doing that year. He broke his leg. He was just on a tear. That was 55 goal pace. Yeah. So. So the question is that those years are right in that peak window that everyone talks about for goal scorers, right? He's now outside of it, and obviously every year getting further and further outside of it. So it'll be interesting to see whether they do try to get more out of him doing other things um, or whether they're just going to go, screw it, let's just get him to to load up and score goals. Yeah, and um, the, the concern I do have, Tampa's got some very important contracts coming down the pipeline. So they're going to have to get creative. I mean, the obvious thing is is 
they will trade Bishop and give it to Vasilevsky, and that that will alleviate some of the money. What do you do? How much would you be willing to pay Hedman? You have to pay whatever he wants. Right. So in theory, you could go for eighty mil. He could be a ten million dollar defenseman, of course. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That would be a six million dollar raise. Yeah. And these bishops, money plus some. You got Matt Carl and Jason Garrison making big money. Strawman's yeah, on an be... absolutely great contract. That's not an issue. Coburn. Bishop's got to go to make all of this work. That's the thing. That What's Kucherov going to get? And that's why I mentioned his name earlier in my little Nashville fantasy of, you know, kind of stealing other players. Kucherov is a ripe for the picking for I wrote the other day on how mid, mid-range mid RFAs are the ones to target because the compensation isn't terrible and you could really kind of, you know, make teams uncomfortable to where they're like, ah, forget it. Yeah. Whereas the top-end guys, usually they'll just match right away. But Tampa's well, in a weird situation. If you were to offer Kucherov like eight, seven, eight mil a year and you had the space to do it, Tampa would really have to sit there and be like, "Oh, what do we?" You're doing? asking a lot. You are asking a lot of Tampa in that situation. You're right, because that that sort of starts to screw all the salary structure up for everybody else floating around. Tyler Johnson's up for a raise next year. Druin will be up next year. I, but he's I, an I was just about just about to mention this. Eisenman was. Not kicked to the curb, but laughed at a little bit in regards to how he handled, well, to begin with, the fact that Stanko spent it this year unsigned, and then also with the handling of Druin in regards to He was to fortunate the... it turned out the way it did. It that, did. He, he really almost lost them for nothing. Both of them. But the thing is, though, he's managed to keep them both. Druin has certainly proven, well, let me put it this way, to the rest of the hockey community that's not involved in actually putting him on the ice... Drouin, I think, has proved the fact that put him on the ice and put him in situations to succeed, more often than not, he's going to make a good play. You are going to get some clunkers, but that's because the puck's on his stick a lot of the time. You, you, you do wonder how Stamkos and, and Drouin are going to be utilised on the ice, however. I thought that was one of the things that Stamkos really had an issue with, was the way he was being used. He wants so, to be a centre. His natural position. It's what he grew up playing, wasn't it? And I think he still can do it for a little bit. I think there's no reason they can't go Stamkos and Johnson down the middle. Oh, I don't. Philpula. That's a luxury. If you've got Philpula as your third line center, I think that's a fantastic luxury to have, to he be honest. He fell off offensively last year, though. But boy, yeah, but in he... his day, was he a very clever and smart player but if you can have him as your third line center and know that he's going to push play and whilst he might not he might not score as well it as he make is, five mil though yeah, but you just have to deal with that contract the like Callahan contract's going to kill him sorry callahan's contract kills yeah them, that's, not in all that's, of this hey you sit there and, and 5.8 the for four more years. The unmovable contract got moved, right? Scuderi's got moved. So I've given up saying players cannot be moved. Um, the Shea Weber contract got moved yes, and for a downgrade. <laughs> so there's absolutely no reason why some idiotic GM isn't going to get there and look at Ryan Callahan in 12 months' time and go, we can do with his Las leadership Vegas. and grit and his physicality. Las Vegas is their best chance. Well, yeah, I think you might be right. And you can apply that to Dustin Brown, too. <laughs> Dustin Brown. Oh. So, yeah. I mean, yesterday was a big day, kind of out of nowhere. I know. It was very hard to concentrate at work. I'm trying to think, what else is there? Anything super exciting that I'm... Um, no, I don't think so. It's sort of like you don't do anything since the draft, and 
you sort of think it's going to be pretty quiet. And then Kapow, like it's free agency tomorrow. Well, actually, no, it's the day after, isn't it? Because it's only the it's the first here in a few hours. So in about twenty two and a half hours, free agency will start. Um, you want to talk a little Penguins about that? Yeah, why not? Um, Just so everyone can remember, Pittsburgh Penguins are the 2016 Stanley Cup champions, just in case you forgot. <laughs> they, it's been interesting the last few years at Hockey Buzz. Uh, it's it's an exciting time to write at that site around trade deadline and, and unrestricted free agency because the traffic just skyrockets during those time periods and you have a lot of eyeballs on your work and it's pretty cool. That's still the case. But this year, unlike some of the other years, I don't have as much to talk about that I feel is interesting because there's really not much for this team to do. But the big one they have to do, they probably blew at the draft. That's my take. Some people disagree and think you need Flurry to back up Murray, and I don't agree with that at all. I think losing Calgary as a, a bidding partner, and now you hear... Dallas is pretty fixed on Bishop. I don't know how the hell they'll make that work. And I'm not so sure. There's going to be that trade window before the expansion draft where you can negotiate with Las Vegas. Hey, if we give you this, maybe not take this guy. So they may get around the Murray Flurry thing with one of those backdoor trades. That still doesn't change my opinion that they don't need that 5.75 mil on the books. Yeah. That's that's what it comes down to. It's it, it's literally you could utilize that money elsewhere on the roster. You've got a guy that through his AHL career and then obviously the shorter term in the NHL has proven that he can handle a workload. Um, you just need a competent backup, and that could be Zatkov if you really nah. got if you really got strung out. It could be. You could sign a guy like gonna... Enroth to a million bucks, and you'd be <laughs> fine. If you're going to get there and say that you want Murray to play the 55 to 60 games that Fleury played, and they obviously just had Zatkov as the backup, you should be confident enough in Murray that you're going to have Zatkov as the backup again. I, 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 that's that's probably the one argument I have in this whole, let's get rid of Fleury and uh, we'll get another backup as well. It's like if you don't have that confidence that he can, he can competently play 55 to 60 games... It's not that, it's... Some things are out of your control, such as injury, as we found out. Fleury having a good year goes down, and Matt Murray can take over. I don't view Zatkoff as the guy that could take over if something catastrophic happened, where Enroth has a little bit better sample. Not saying that he could do lights out, but I would feel more comfortable with a cheap backup that maybe has had a starting job in the past, maybe not given as much of an opportunity. You know how, like a Thomas Grice type. Yeah, no, no, no. Halak goes down. Grice has this sample size in the past of, hey, he's been pretty good even though they don't play him a lot. And wow, look, a guy goes down, he gets to play a lot, and he played great. So then if you get there and you look at the, you've got Zatkov, Murray gets injured, Zatkov suddenly becomes a starter. I thought thought the club was still really high on on Tristan Jarry as well, so... They didn't even start him in the AHL playoffs, so... No, this, this is... And this is why I'm asking the question. It's like, do they still have that thought process on the kid, or is he... Is he one of the many, many goalies that just can't quite work it out at the pro level? Zakov? No, 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 Jarry. Oh, I, I don't know. That, and that's, that's what I mean. It's like, there's, like... If, if he was progressing the, the way they thought he would, he's your Murray option if Murray went down, like what Murray was. Well, they just drafted the best, quote-unquote, available goaltender in the draft last week. Really? Oh, I just don't pay enough attention to the draft, even though we podcasted whilst it was on. Uh, that was day two, the day after. I figured it was day two. So they, they actually they said before the draft they wanted a defenseman in round two, and ended up taking a goalie and a center, which I'm fine with. I looked into those two guys, and they seem to have a very skill-based rationale for taking them. And, you know, goalies, there's a strong argument you shouldn't be drafting them high at all anymore. But if you're going to take the best available one, fuck it, whatever. (laughs) And then 
It's the other picks that, you know, some people don't agree with my philosophy on. You know, they they took stay-at-home defensemen with the other picks, uh, especially the one you trade Bo Bennett. That's fine. I get it. Injured. But he's an effective NHL player now. There's no... Win healthy here. Well, that's always the, the thing you have to attach to it. So they get that <laughs> third-round pick, and they immediately pour it into a guy that is maybe... Ian Cole, and to me that's it's boring. That's not how I wouldn't. I don't know. You you did the, I, I try to hit way, home runs all the time in that thing. Yeah, a good a good way to look at at this, I think, is that you try to throw you try to hit a home run every time you draft, right? What you do to fill in your roster while you're waiting for those home runs to develop into NHL players is you cleverly look at the numbers and you sign them cheaply as a UFA rather than trading away picks to recruit them into your, your roster later on. So that's how you should be trying to acquire guys like Ian Cole and, and Ben Lovejoy and Matt Cullen and Eric Fair. You, you, you find a, a versions of those guys that are on the cheap, um, and, and you use those guys to fill the holes until your draft picks either mature into that player or a better version thereof. And they and have that this year. Cheap. They did, and that's one of those things where trading for a positional need is fine, but trade for skill at that positional need and have the player fall into the position you think, not have to grow up into the position. I hope that makes sense. The thing I have with drafting, to use a baseball analogy that I did, always try to hit a home run in the draft. Go for the highest skill base possible. Are you going to strike out sometimes? Yes. My argument is, in the NHL draft, even if you're trying to hit singles, you think, oh, I'll strike out less. I don't think you do. No. no I, I think agree. the failure rate of playing, quote-unquote, playing it safe is the same as if you just tried to hit the home runs all the time. So why not just not draft stay-at-home defensemen or bottom six players? I think drafting a stay-at-home defenseman is like going for a bunt and bunting it straight down the first baseline. Yeah, sure, you might but get to first. You're asking for an error to occur. For it to you're be asking so much to go right for such a little gain. Yeah. So that's just my philosophy on that. Um, Can't believe we rolled out 65 baseball analogies in 30 seconds. <laughs> Not much else going on in the States as far as sports are concerned. Uh, oh, yeah, it's baseball season, isn't it? It is. Anything else? No, I think that'll do. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about after July 1. Uh, I guess that we'll leave you on a note of maybe a few guys to avoid going into July 1. Please do. Anybody you have in mind that you would avoid? Um, shit, you're asking me to, to think a little bit here. Lucic. Okay, we've, we did discuss him a little bit. Yeah. I think one for me would be David Backus. See, for me, it, it, it really comes down to if he gets that home run deal. If he, whoever signs into that deal where you go, he's cashed in, then you're in trouble. He's already 32. That, that's my point. So you get there and it's like if someone gives him six by six. I don't think he'll get that. But you know what I'm saying? Like if someone does that, they're in trouble. If someone signs... I think if you can get him on a four-year deal... I think that's pushing it, man. But I think that's what he's going to ask for. But if you can get him on a four-year deal at a lowish cap, it, you might be okay, but... Two is probably the most I'd... You know, he's not going to sign it. He won't sign a two-year deal. But Somebody here's, here's why I mentioned him as let's avoid. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I get. I get it. Ben Lovejoy is another one that you need to avoid. And I don't say that disparagingly to Ben Lovejoy. It's the fact that someone will overpay for his services. Man, I see if they traded Flurry and signed Ben Lovejoy, they could have traded Lovejoy for Taylor Hall. Because <laughs> isn't that what just happened? <laughs> you know, you know what's going to happen though, don't you? Like Lovejoy is going to get overpaid and probably paid for two two years too long. Um, Good for and, him. And that's but. Not good for the team, probably. No, and yeah, that's the thing. It's like if you're Lovejoy, you go out and you get that money, but that team is 
the coach will then have the pressure from the general manager trying to play him up the lineup. He is a third-pairing D-man, um, and that's where you want to play him to get the most out of him. So it's guys like that that I think you need to be careful of. I would also avoid Michael Bodker. Yeah, yeah, power play dude. Gotcha, gotcha. I think his possession-driving skills aren't that great. He is fast, and he does flash some really nice hands at times. But the lion's share of his offensive production is a power play. So if you don't have room for him on power play one, uh, don't know why you'd be investing around that $5 million range that he supposedly wants. Hey, has Lee Stepniak got a, a deal yet, or is he going into free agency again? Again. He'd be a guy I would target to that fill-in-the-gap kind of thing that you were yeah. talking about while not trading your picks at the deadline to acquire him. That's the I one. think Patrick Weirkoch of Ottawa is the defensive version of that. I think somebody yeah. could do well to sign him relatively cheaply. And, um, yeah, I don't know what Ottawa's doing ever, really, these days. Anything above the line, anything above the line, dude, I'm worried about what's going on in that country. <laughs> uh, who else is out there? I would avoid Thomas Vanek, even on the cheap. <laughs> His ability to drive play is so bad. When he's not scoring, he's not doing anything these days. And the scoring's down. So I'd steer clear on that front. Uh, Eric Stahl's interesting. As long as you understand he's not close to being Eric Stahl, a star player that he's been for many, many years, he's not a lot. He's, he's almost like um, Chris Kunitz in the sense that offensive production isn't where it was, but he's still a valuable asset driving play forward. He does a lot of nice possession-related things. As long as you don't pay a premium for the perceived offense he used to have, I think Eric Stahl could end up being a good by low player. You're asking him to be a 20. You're asking him to probably slot in on the second line and maybe push to be a first-line player if he has a brilliant year. And how old is he, 31? Um, Off the top of my head, I think he's 31. He's going to want a long-term contract. I don't know if he's got the leverage for that right now. Well, not after what happened in New York, but you do... You sit there and you look at these at these situations, and the fact that the the salary cap is almost like the law of diminishing returns at the moment. It's not going up at a very good rate. It seems to go up by less and less every year. There's not the uh, space for teams to fork out for for players in this situation, unless he goes to a a cap floor team that suddenly goes, oh, we're going to spend money, and that never usually is the case. I'm curious to see what. Uh, the young, the young buck in Arizona is going to do a Shane Doan. Actually, that's a really good question. Shane Doan is not somebody I would invest heavily in. He is coming off quite a magnificent season given his age, if I'm correct. He scored a lot of goals this year. His analytics is his analytics are fine. He's I think he's if he's not a first line winger, he is definitely just underneath that that first line first line level. For I think almost all of his, off the top of my head, he had 28 goals last year, which yeah is obviously very good. He is 30 something. I think he's towards 30. It should just it should just be oh, a no, one year 35-ish. deal. He's 39. It should be a one year deal at six mil. They got to get there. What are they pushing for the cap floor at the moment? That's not going to kill him this year if they pay him that much. But you do need him around. He's a dirty ass motherfucker on the ice. <laughs> okay, you said it. But but you need him. You need him on the ice for that roster. He's a legitimate second line player. There you go. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see. I don't think the the kid will give him term. Can't. We didn't discuss. Just... You know, we were discussing. Um, What's Arizona up to the last podcast? And we had signed off, and it was, hey, we're going to trade for Datsuk's contract and, and double up on some picks and do a great job on that front. Well, it's a non-traditional market. They can go about it in non-traditional ways and succeed. So now they got Datsuk and Pronger. 
<laughs> what a lineup. If you would have told me that during the 07 08 final or like 08 09 when Pittsburgh and Detroit were playing, that Datsuk would be traded for Joe Vitale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Joe Vitale was on the Penguins at that. No, he couldn't have been. But, I think it was Wilkesbury Scranton, though. I think he was actually in the – he was in the system. The thing that's funny is that Chris Pronger and Pavel Datsuk are going to retire as Phoenix Coyotes. Mm-hmm. That's just silly. Hey, but, it's a loophole that's there. I don't uh... – Hey, if it's there, use it. It's like what we said about the backdiving contracts. If you if – if the system's there at the time, use it to your advantage. Well – I think that covers it. I think so. Um, if you like our content, go to patreon.com slash hockey hurts. You can uh, donate to the podcast for as little as $1 a month. Uh, Hockeyhurts.com uh, at Walshy66 for Cameron, at Gunnerstall for me, hockeybuzz.com for Penguins articles. So, uh, Penguins may not be super active on the free agency front, but I'll try and uh, give some opinions on there on, on some of the other things that are going down in the league because I just don't see Pittsburgh, nor should they, be be active on, on that front. I think the only two guys that were UFAs on their Stanley Cup roster were Fair and Cullen. Everybody else was drafted or traded for. So that's it. I think you're on the money. So next time you'll see us will be after the free agency frenzy. So until then, I'm Ryan Wilson.